Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So great to be with you. The title of today's podcast is Being Transformed in the Fires of Spiritual Warfare. Being Transformed in the Fires of Spiritual Warfare. This actually comes uh, out of a message, actually a series I did on the Gospel of Mark, uh, which was written to Christians who were in a crisis under intense pressure living in Rome under Nero, who had unleashed a horrific persecution against the church there. And so this text from which I'm going to share this sermon with you comes from Jesus' parable in Mark chapter 3 about him tying up the strong man, Satan, so that people can be set free. Now, what makes this such an important message is I address the discernment question of how can we discern if what we are experiencing uh, is a direct frontal assault from the evil one or is this a spiritual formation maturity that God is working in us? In my early years of pastoring in Queens, uh, I got really deep into spiritual warfare because in the first few months of our church plant, uh, I encountered demons screaming in the services uh, that we had started uh, while I was preaching or ending the service. And it was such a disruption and I wasn't sure what to do at the time. Uh, I ended up diving deeply into the issue of deliverance and spiritual warfare. And I spent for a, a number of years driving, a lot of time, driving out demons of, from people. And uh, there was some good fruit, but there was also some mixed fruit. Uh, it was clear that some people were not growing or maturing. Uh, and I realized there were deeper issues of discipleship going on and that God was trying to get their attention on some issues and everything was getting blamed on Satan himself, demons and question was, how do you discern the two? Uh, and so, you know, what does it look like to do emotionally healthy deliverance or spiritual warfare? So I spent a lot of years wrestling with this issue. And in this, and in this sermon, about halfway in, I explore it directly uh, around Jesus' parable of tying up the strong man and actually move into, towards the end of the message, on Jesus talking about the importance of filling up the house, our house internally, our interior lives, less seven more spirits, more wicked enter it. And again, that's why EH discipleship is so critical. So uh, now listen, if you've never taken the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Personal Assessment, let me invite you to do so. Uh, it takes about 15 minutes and that will give you a good intro to what is this Emotionally Healthy Discipleship piece that we want to bring into the issue of spiritual warfare. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. It's free. It will take you about 15 minutes. And it's a great introduction. So let me invite you now to enjoy and take in this message uh, we're entitling right now, Being Transformed in the Fires of Spiritual Warfare. Enjoy. So Mark chapter 3 is where we're going, if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. <clears throat> and uh, let's read this. Uh, <clears throat> You know, our text today is, is really, our, our theme is making room for Jesus to drive out evil. <clears throat> and uh, so this message actually is not, is, is not Christianity light. You know, we have Bud Light, you know, Miller Light. We have Christianity light. This is, this is the Christianity like in your face. Okay, that's the great thing about preaching through a book like we're doing with Mark. You, keep, you hit texts that are important, but they're ones that you might not just choose. Uh, but this, uh, this theme of making room for Jesus to drive out evil comes out of Mark 3, 
uh, picks up what, what uh, Rich did last week. Let's begin at verse 20 to verse 27. <clears throat> then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. <clears throat> when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. You think you've got problems with your family. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, this is the key verse today, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. Again, verse 27, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. All right, let's pray together. And so, Lord, uh, take us into this deep water of you tying up the strong man. Not simply, Lord, that we may learn, but, Lord, that you might set us free from the evil one in this room, that we may experience the freedom for which you died and rose again, and that we may leave this place liberated through the person of you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we offer you this time in your name. Amen. How many of you have ever heard of something called a savant syndrome? Well, it's people with a very, a very narrow uh, developmental, often, uh, disability, but they have a very brilliant avenue of intelligence. A fellow named Mo Norman was born in Ontario, Canada, but at the age of six, he was struck by a car and suffered brain damage. <clears throat> His entire life, people considered him strange. He was different. He was weird. He was eccentric. Um, he used to use bobby pins to hold up his pants, tape to tie his shoes, never owned a telephone, talked rapidly in short phrases. He lived out of his car for parts of his life, never learned to manage money or checkbook. Yet Mo Norman was a genius, and perhaps they say the greatest golfer that ever lived. He had a photographic memory, he was unbeatable at cards, and he could calculate mathematical equations at lightning speed. He had what's called savant syndrome, and uh, people with very narrow levels of intelligence, but very deep. Some of you may have heard of the work a number of years ago. A Harvard professor named Howard Gardner uh, wrote this very important uh, book and developed all this work around challenging the whole notion of IQ. Everyone's into IQ, which basically deals with two levels of intelligence, our verbal skills and our mathematical skills. And that's why SATs, GREs are all based on that. And he basically came out saying that is such a narrow view of intelligence. And he argued you've got to look at intelligence in a much broader spectrum. He's looking at the human brain. And he added five other things, such as bodily intelligence. So he gave an example of people who are in sports or actors or dancers are brilliant in, in understanding the body. He gave an example, he talked about musical intelligence. Musicians are brilliant in, in, in a very specific way in being able to handle sound and rhythms. People who are interpersonally brilliant, okay, ability to attune to, to meetings and rooms of people and feelings, what was going on with people. Then he talked about intrapersonal intelligence, folks who were intelligent on the inside. They, were, they knew their feelings, what was going on, they could articulate it. And he said a healthy person is growing in all those areas. They may not be brilliant in all seven, but all seven are important. 
And I think in the same way as I approach this sermon today, we talk about growing in Christ and spiritual formation. Very often we get locked into a very narrow field and we miss the wider hole. And so at New Life, what we're trying to do is hold on to the breadth of Scripture and we want to be maturing in our formation in Christ in all areas. So we talk about growing in worship, hearing God, learning Scripture, uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, learning to wait on God, etc. They're all important. But today we're going to deal with a theme which we don't talk about a, a great deal, but is critically important. That is the issue of spiritual warfare. The issue of invisible, personal, evil beings that exist. That there's a warfare going on right around us in this room right now and around your life with invisible beings. And Scripture in the New Testament takes us behind the visible reality into this invisible world. And so today, I want us to dig into this text of Jesus. And uh, because like Paul, we want to say, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We're, we're aware there is a demonic power. We're not paranoid, but we're aware. There's a difference there. And so, uh, you know, I, I know a room like this. The stats are that 90% of people that even attend church don't even ever think about the idea of satanic powers. 10% think about it too much. But we want to have a healthy awareness, you know, here in this room as it fits into us growing into mature folks in Christ. So, so again, the theme is making room for Jesus. Jesus is the one who drives out evil. We don't do it. He does it. But we make room for him to do it in our lives. And that's why we've been talking about this theme of margin. That is, we, we create space in our lives for Jesus to move and drive out evil. As you'll see in this text, that his own family didn't make room for it, nor did, the, nor did these religious leaders make room. So they didn't experience that kind of a freedom. So let me give you a background of the Gospel of Mark. It's very important as we approach this, you know, the text. This book of Mark was written during the time of Nero's reign. He was emperor of Rome about 65 AD, uh, about 60 to 65 AD. And uh, there, a great fire had broken out in Rome in 64 AD. Two-thirds of the city got burned to the ground. And Nero, he was a bit insane. Uh, he was, no, he was a bit. He was very insane. He blamed the Christians for it. Most people believe that he started it himself. And so a, a great persecution was unleashed against the church in Rome. And so Christians that were, 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 that were named the name of Christ were dressed in, for example, wild skins. And they were torn to pieces by, by wild dogs and these animal skins. They were made to be torches after dark. They were put into circuses and, and coliseums and gardens. And, uh, but to be a Christian in that time in history meant arrest meant loss of all of your you know, credibility, and probably death. And so the church was under this ferocious attack and was wrestling about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so what Mark did is he took all the stories about Jesus and he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And this Gospel was written to these Christians in Rome, okay, in about 65, 66 AD. And so what Mark is saying is he brings out these sayings and teachings of Jesus. I want you to know, everybody, it's not Nero you're dealing with here, the emperor of Rome. These arrests and crucifixions and losing your house and, and, your, and your positions, understand there is an enormous warfare going on around you. And behind the events of the surface going on economically and politically, there are unseen spiritual forces at work. And some of those forces are satanic. And I want you to understand that Jesus came to drive out the evil one. And so, as we see Jesus explodes in the gospel, from chapter 1, he starts, he appeased and teach with authority and heal and, and touch blind eyes and raise the dead. And we see him all over the place throughout the gospels. He is driving 
out the demonic. And this passage actually is like a climax teaching of the nature of the demonic involved in, in for us as disciples of Christ. So, so it starts in verses 19, it's verses 20 to 21, where it says Jesus' family comes to him while he's teaching a crowd of people around a house, inside a house, and his brothers actually want to take charge of him, it says in verse 21, which means they want to arrest him. That's the word used for arrest. They think Jesus is out of his mind. It's amazing, isn't it? In fact, some um, early uh, copiers of the New Testament, when they would, they would make copies of it, wanted to get rid of that verse. They couldn't imagine. They thought Jesus was insane. But not only that, but in verse 22, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they show up, and they basically accuse Jesus of being possessed by demons himself. Beelzebub's the prince of demons. And so Jesus responds to that, and he says, listen, a house cannot be divided against itself. If I'm driving out Satan by Satan himself, it couldn't even stand. It's illogical. But then he tells this amazing parable in verse 27. I want you to look at that with me because that's the key text here. Here's what Jesus says. In fact, he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Okay, so you got the picture there? So I asked Mirna, can you find me a picture of a strong man in front of a house? And here's what Mirna sent me. It looks like it's from the suburbs of Arizona. I don't know if it works for you, but let's go back to the passage. But Jesus is saying to understand who I am, you have to understand that, that the reason people are getting freed from the demonic under me is because I have tied up the strong man of Satan. He goes, I have tied him up. And because he's not in front of the house anymore, I'm just walking in and setting people free. But I've taken authority over the evil one. My very presence itself, not just the crucifixion and resurrection, just my presence here drives him out. He's tied up, and now possessions, which are people, can now be set free. Now the house is being basically robbed. An interesting image of, of a parable. And so the presence of Jesus, just his presence, drives out evil. Many of you feel it just being in our midst here in the middle of worship. And so Paul speaks about rulers and powers and authorities and principalities and in Ephesians 6, this vast hierarchy of, of spiritual beings actually over nations and institutions and corporations that Satan and demonic powers are a real force that exert a true evil influence in the world. And it's powerful. Now, just pause with me for a moment. Just, and there's lots of names are given to, to the devil in the Bible, like roaring lion, accuser, twister, deceiver, dragon, slanderer, uh, you know, all kinds of names. But this presence of, of evil, you have to live a while and often travel a lot to actually grasp it. I, I, I mean, just think, the world was supposed to end last night, wasn't it? <laughs> it may be a bad sign that we're all here. <laughs> but something got unleashed in this end-of-the-world prediction, didn't it? I mean, there was like a, a frenzy, wasn't there? I mean, I mean, Jesus was very clear that nobody knows the time or day and that nobody's to make predictions, right? But it didn't seem to matter. But the, it wasn't just the advertising that took this thing by force. I mean, you, you could feel the, the intensity around it. And it was actually, a, you know, a global intensity that took place around it. But... If you study history a little bit, like Nero and his reign, and you think of Hitler's and Stalin, and he said the Gulag and, 
in the former Soviet Union. What was unleashed there was something in the Holocaust and, and Stalin's purges that was just, it was beyond human evil. It was another scale. You think of the slave trade, not just the African slave trade, you think of the Arab slave trade. I mean, what got unleashed in the slave trade over hundreds of years was just, it's, it's unbelievable. When you actually study it and look at what it did to human lives, you look at the genocide. I was just reading about Rwanda yesterday again, and just that genocide of 100 days, 800,000 people killed. I mean, you're just neighbors on neighbors. I mean, just, just what got unleashed in Rwanda in 94, what was beyond human sociological political calculation. Same thing with Bosnia and any kind of genocide. It's just, it's, it's like a wave that sweeps people up, and it's an evil. You think of Pol Pot and, and Mao's. I watched a documentary a, couple of, a few weeks ago on Darfur. And a Marine who'd been in war went there at, on behalf of some nonprofit. He said he never saw the kind of evil he saw there as he saw in war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And just again, a level of evil unleashed uh, in that part of the world for a season. But people are, are capable of amazing evil, incredible evil. And we see the activity of, of evil in, in, in often institutions, in places like our, some of you, in, the, in our workplaces. It's not just a bad boss going on or, you know, or some shareholders. Something gets unleashed in, in large corporations or small corporations that it's almost beyond the individuals. It's a force that seems to destroy people or, or do damage. Uh, same thing in, in educational institutions or political institutions or, or states. Some family, something gets in a family sometimes that it's just pure evil. And it almost becomes generational sometimes. Uh, same thing with money does to people. It's amazing. Rich is talking about folks with, with $25 million struggling with poverty, okay? <laughs> Hatred or bitterness crosses a line sometimes where you know you're in, you're in a different realm. You nurse that hatred for a while or bitterness and you watch a person go down that road and all of a sudden things like murder become very possible because it's taken on a, a spiritual evil that's gotten a hold of this thing. It's now on another level. We've seen things in sexuality and think of race, think of the horror of racism. I mean, you can logically analyze it all. It's a demonic thing. It's a global issue It's unleashed. Think of treating women or sometimes men as objects sexually as they're not even people, just things and, and the scale of that globally. Okay, I'm saying, you, friends, we're talking about things that aren't just rational. You study in a book, you analyze them, and you, it, 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 there's an evil behind it. Now, understand, the mission of the devil, says Jesus, is to destroy human beings by any means possible. And the mission of Jesus is to save human beings and, and set them free. And, and so the, the goal of the evil one, of Satan himself, is to cut you off from your relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have one, to keep you from one and by any means possible to isolate you and crush you and lead you astray. And you are in a warfare whether you know it or not. One of the great words in Revelation for Satan is he's the, he's the, his name means deceiver. He pulls people astray from devotion to Jesus. That's, that's part of his nature is to pull you away. And, and Jesus comes here in this text and he invades. And, and, and the New Testament is an invasion of God in Jesus driving out the evil one. In fact, the, the image is of, is of the, the kingdom of God is here. This is the great understanding of the theology of the New Testament that, that in the present evil age, which the, e the evil one's got sway, Jesus comes and invades the earth in 30 AD 
And the kingdom of God comes in the person of Jesus, and he begins to drive back Satan and all of his works, set people free. And we say the kingdom of God is already here in Jesus, but it's not yet fully here. In other words, there still is evil in the world. That's why people get confused. Well, if he's here, if the kingdom is here, why is there still evil? Because we are in what's called the in-between time. That's why folks were confused about Jesus. They thought he'd just wipe out all evil. Well, if he wiped out all evil, we'd all be gone. But we're in a warfare here, and the day will come when Christ will return. And the consummation of the kingdom will come, and it'll be over. But for now, we're in this already not yet. He's here. But understand, Satan does not possess anything near the power of the living God. We're not talking about two equals. We have God and Satan, like two wrestlers. No, 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 no. I mean, this, you know, God is Lord of lords and King of kings. He rules the universe. God is on the throne. He sits on the throne. The image of God in Scripture is always sitting on the throne because he's in complete control. He's not worried. He's the sovereign of all of history. He's the Lord God Almighty is one of the great phrases for him. And so he, he has actual control of all historical events. That's the great challenge. There's such evil in the world. You say, well, he's in control. If he's got the world in his grip, he's the Lord God Almighty, why is there evil? Well, he's allowing it for a season. But it's going to end at some point, and we wait on that day. But to understand Jesus, you have to understand why he came. The reason the Son of God came, appeared, was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3, 8. Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That, that the reason he came and died on that cross, he defeated the evil one. But what's so interesting, he hasn't even died on the cross yet. He's still tying up the strong man, just in his presence. And so we, we walk, and, and the reality is, as we receive Christ, the one in you is greater than the one who's in the world. In 1 John 4, 4.4. 4. So for, for these Christians who are sitting in Rome, some are probably in hiding, some are in their houses, some are getting. He says, listen, I want you to understand something Mark is saying. Jesus has decisively conquered the powers and principalities, powers of evil. And uh, they've not been fully destroyed. But I want you to know that everything will be subject to Jesus. He's in complete control, even death itself. Don't be afraid of going to die. Because he is the Lord. He's in charge. And his resurrection is the beginning. Uh, he's, it's the first fruits. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the goal of history is that God will be all in all. He'll be the everything in all everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And the world one day will be drenched and filled and soaked in the love of God. And nothing on hell is going to stop that. And so it, it is moving. And God will set the world right one day. Jesus will make all wrong right. That day is coming. Don't worry. At his name, someday, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. The strong man has been tied up by Jesus. So he says, don't fear. So what's the invitation then for us? I'll say it's two things for us today. How do we make room, us in this room, so that Jesus can drive out evil in our own personal lives, in our own fellowship here uh, in a church. So I want to talk to you really about two things. The first I'm going to call discernment. We need discernment. And then I'll talk about filling our house with Jesus. So this word discernment is very critical. And, and the question is this. Is what's going on in my life right now, is this a direct frontal assault from the evil one? or a spiritual formation growing up issue. And you need to discern which is it as you get engaged in this. 
Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, for example, you'll see Jesus had seasons or ebbs and flows where Satan himself came up against Jesus in direct frontal assaults. For example, he's in the desert for 40 days, and he is tempted by the devil. It is a full frontal assault, and then it ends. And then you'll see about, you know, chapter 16 of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus starts to talk about going to be crucified and suffering, and then Peter, on behalf of the disciples, says, no, never, Lord. And Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because he recognizes this is another major spiritual assault to get him off track of suffering and death, the downward path, and he recognizes something very intense is happening right now. The Garden of Gethsemane is another big assault against Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross, Jesus is struggling with the will of the Father. And it is a full-fledged assault by the evil one. Come down if you're the Son of God. Jump off the cross. Now, there are seasons when all of us experience a full frontal assault. Where, did you ever feel like all, this phrase is, all hell is breaking loose? It's just all hell is breaking loose. And you're just saying, and you say to yourself, I'm not going to make it. This thing is so intense. Whatever's going on right now, I don't know if I'm going to hang on. I, I don't know if I can get through it. Now you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. You liar. You liar. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, I, I've had three or four very uh, seasons that I know were full frontal assaults, where I said to myself, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. Everything in me wanted to quit, quit Christianity and just run. So you've had that experience, you're in good company, because every believer who follows Jesus has seasons when they are in, you are in the midst of a full frontal assault and you don't know if you're going to make it, and you really do want to quit. All hell breaks loose. What's interesting is Jesus goes, it says he goes into the desert filled with the Spirit, but in Luke it says he comes out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. Something actually happens to you if you do what God wants, which is stand firm in that full frontal assault, you're actually changed from the inside out. If you read Christian history and great writers of, of, of discipleship and spiritual formation, there's a theme, and the theme is this, that you will go through as a believer full frontal assaults. They call it things like dark nights of the soul. You can't see straight, but rest assured of this. Like with Jesus, if you stand firm and don't quit, you will come out changed. And you look at the story of Job. Job, for 35 chapters, all hell breaks loose against that man's life. He has no idea what is going on. But he comes out of that, the end of the book of Job, he is not the same person. Before he says, God, I knew of you, but now I have seen you. I have heard you. I, I, he has a relationship with God he has never had before, that full frontal assault. Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, Jesus said to him, Aren't you know, Simon, Satan has asked me to sift you like wheat. Well, I'm, I hope Satan ask, is not asking for my name, all right? Could you imagine? <laughs> Peter, you're headed for a full frontal assault. He goes, but I've prayed for you. Now, here's the great news. You may be in one right now, but the great news is he will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But well, he's faithful. He'll, he will provide a way of escape. He, you say, I can't take it. No, he knows what you can take. And when you're in a full frontal assault, the call is to stand firm, to persevere. It is not the moment to make a big decision. It is not the moment to quit. It is the moment to get with other mature believers because you can't really pray for yourself very well. 
that can help you get perspective and say, you say to them, I said to Jerry more than once, pray for me, honey. Just pray for me. And I tell you, it's, it's, you feel the lift. You go to worship here, and you're like, yes, because you're being carried. And so I know for some of you, you're in that place today. So if you are under a direct spiritual assault, I want you to hear this. For you, stand firm. Okay? Stand firm right now and don't move. Okay? He will see you through it. But in other cases, the question is, is it a spiritual formation growing up issue? Now, they got to discern this. Because if you call a full frontal assault, now if you call a spiritual formation issue a full frontal assault, it's going to be a mess. And you've got to discern this. Now, um, when I became a Christian, early first few years, whenever anybody mentioned Satan or the devil, I basically, I ran out of that. These people are crazy. You know? like, what's with these folks? I mean, I was like, it sounded, you know, I thought of the movies, you know. But as I walked with Jesus, I began, I realized, not just this in the Bible and Jesus, it's, it's a reality in the Bible, but I actually realized this is real. I mean, this is real. And, and everything from encountering demons and to actually, like, the, experiencing the presence of evil beyond human beings. And you realize, oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and, and so what happened for about, a, I'd say about an eight to ten year period, at New Life Fellowship Church, we went hog wild on spiritual warfare. Casting demons out of everything that moved. You know that? <laughs> and uh, because it's biblical, right? But, but the problem is that, that uh, it became imbalanced and, and narrow. And we ignored much of the spiritual warfare that goes on in our own flesh. And began to put everything on the outside and blame Satan for way too much. You see, if you think Satan's, the, the pro Satan's all the problems that you have, then you don't have to do anything. It's all his fault. And so, ah, the reason you're late for the meeting, the traffic in the LIE, dumb demons on that LIE, you know? <laughs> Did you hear tolls went up? Tolls went up, demons! You know, easy pass, you know? The subway system, you know? You know, we had demons in the sound system back there, you know? And every obstacle and disappointment lost, we, we ended up rebuking it left and right. I'll never forget someone coming to me and said, my boss fired me. It was Satan. I said, yeah. <laughs> right. You showed up late. Your performance was poor. You're not growing in your skills, but it's all Satan. <laughs> but really, the, 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 the moment I'm most embarrassed about, uh, it was probably a low point in our marriage in the early years, pre-emotional health, and, and Jerry was depressed because I wasn't the ideal husband I am right now. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm glad she's outside meeting with somebody. She was here first service. So. But uh, she was really depressed at uh, the state of things. And uh, a fellow came over. He was actually a member of the worship team at the time. He'd since moved. And he came over and started rebuking the devil right out of her. I said, you do it, baby. You do it. And as he was praying for her, I just realized how crazy the whole thing was. Because I knew, I knew. There's nothing to do with it. I mean, yes, God was trying to get my attention. God was trying to get her attention. God was trying to speak to us through sadness and grief and and uh, do a lot of work in us. But, I mean, to, to just be, you know, rebuking her for demons, I mean, it sounded good initially to me, but I knew it wasn't true. And, uh, and just, you know, I mean, depression, of course. Depression is such a complex thing. Sometimes it's just biochemical, and thank God, like, for diabetes, there's medicines for something like that, and that's wonderful. But to make something so complex like depression and, and put one label on it for everybody, really, that itself is crazy. Okay. And, uh, and so emotionally healthy spirituality was birthed 
out of, in a sense, realizing that our, our intelligence was so narrow, but it wasn't broad biblically. And it was getting at the other pieces of information. But that's why James says, you know, the book of James, there's an interesting word, many of you know this verse. He's talking about trials and temptations. Because the question is, is this a spiritual formation moment? Because if it's a spiritual formation moment, the answer is, I need to grow up. If it's a full frontal assault, I need to stand firm. But I got to know which it is. But James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. And the word for trials there is the same word used for temptations of the evil one. Well, which is it? It's used interchangeably because in some ways it's almost like both. But consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God allows difficulties and trials in your life. He's on the throne. It's not a full demonic assault. God's trying to grow you up. Because you're a baby. Yeah, there's traffic on that LIE. It's not Satan. Okay? It's you've got to manage your time and your life and leave early and show respect for the person you're going to meet with. And, but remember, nothing comes into our lives that is not permitted by Almighty God. Even the full frontal assaults, God permits them to grow us up. Remember Paul had this thorn in the flesh, remember? Now, you know, they're not, they're not, scholars aren't sure what it was. Some believe it was a blind. He was, they, some believe he actually went blind at a certain point of his life. Others believe it was some kind of a disability or, or maybe a stroke. Some believe it was actually an emotional, you know, disability. We're not fully sure. But it says, Paul says, I, Paul says, I asked God three times. He goes, this thorn in the flesh, Paul says, it was a messenger from Satan. So he says, I asked God, take it away. And God said to him three times, no. And then Paul says, the reason why, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. To keep me from arrogance. Could you imagine if Paul was arrogant with all those gifts? Frightening thought, isn't it? So he understood this was for him, not a full frontal assault. This was a spiritual formation. Paul, apostle, grow up. You're dangerous with all that power and anointing without weakness in your life. And then Paul says, for I learned. When my God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so, again, when our, when our lens to view reality is too narrow, we're dangerous. Okay, full frontal assault, sometimes that's true. Stand firm. It's, it's a spiritual formation issue. I need to grow up. I got to discern which it is. So when you're unsure, you've got to get some perspective from some other people if you're not sure yourself. But he, he, here's, the, he, here's the second issue here. It's not just to, to discernment. There's a second invitation here in this text. And it's actually not quite in this text. I'm jumping to Matthew 12, 43 to 45. But it's such an important uh, informer to this text. I want to jump to it in Matthew 12. Jesus, again, he's talking about this issue of driving out demons, and he brings out a different element here. And he says this, When an evil spirit comes out of anyone, it goes through arid places, that's dry places, desert places, seeking rest and does not find it. So, so a demon comes out of someone, it's wandering around, looking, where can I rest? Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied or empty. Swept clean and put in order, morally respectable. And then it goes, the demon, and takes with it seven other spirits. 
more wicked than itself. Now you got eight. And they go in and live there. And Jesus says, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Whoa. Like, whoa. So what he's saying is, it's not just getting rid of this thing. It's filling the house. We say, fill the house with the Holy Spirit. Fill the house with, with the person of Jesus. And, um, you know, many of you know the name George Barner. George Barner is probably the leading Christian sociologist um, in the world. Been doing it for 20, 30 years. And he recently wrote a book that took six years. It's called Maximum Faith. And he did research on the 100 million people in the United States that claim to be born again. They claim to have a relationship with Jesus. 100 million. And here's what he found out. Less than 2% of that 100% have been, would say they've been transformed by Jesus. Less than 2% would say that I am submitted to God and I am profoundly in love with him and other people. He said 98%, more than 98%, basically said my house is empty. There's no passion. There's no life transformation. Going to church, sitting in churches, claiming I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but no transformation. The book changed his whole life. I'll be honest, I read it, I was devastated myself. This text says the house is empty, you'll be worse off than before. It may look clean on the outside and respectable, great mega church, great clean buildings and all that, and you look good and your family's getting a little bit better, but there's no transformation. Jesus says things are going to be worse so filling the house, what does that mean to fill the house? Well, it's things like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop my personal relationship with Jesus. I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to learn how to listen to God. I'm going to learn to study scripture. I'm going to learn to sit at his feet. I'm going to learn not to live off other people's spirituality. I'm going to learn how to worship. I'm going to learn how do you do this fellowship thing in small groups. And, and, and how do I learn this thing called serving and using my gifts and rhythms and slowing down and Sabbath. But it becomes a life where I make space in my life for the house to be filled with him. And I begin to recognize it's not just driving something out, it's filling. And that's why you'll notice Jesus' ultimate concern was never having a show of driving out demons. He always respected people, pulled them to a side. You know, he, he was concerned for people's dignity. Great respect there. But his, his focus was discipleship. I gotta train these 12 to fill their house and come after me. And so I think in the same way as we're pioneering emotionally healthy prophetic, we want to pioneer emotionally healthy deliverance. There's a place for dealing with a full frontal assault. There's a place for dealing with the spiritual formation and growing up. But we friends want to be a, a, a church that, you know what? We have no room for the evil one and we're filling our houses up with him. That's the hard work of discipleship. And we don't want to, I don't want to show at New Life Fellowship. We want to always respect people's dignity. But we want to recognize the fact that we are in a warfare here. I like what John Wimber used to say. He was a founder of the vineyard. He used to say, I'd rather fill the house up with Jesus, and then there's no room for the evil one. He called it like rats feed on garbage. And as people deal with the garbage, there is no room for the rats of the evil one to hang on any longer. Ted Roberts, who spoke here a few weeks ago, he, he's now become a world expert on sexual addiction. And I was amazed. He's Pentecostal. The guy's been around and back, pastor 25 years. And he said very clearly at the workshop he led here, saying, it's not just breaking the power of Satan. He says, this is a two to five year process. 
to really get free and renew your mind from that kind of addiction and fill that house with Jesus, that you are truly free and this thing will not pull you back. I thought it was a great balance of the scripture here. So again, it's true. We can't defeat evil on our own strength, but he, we, we can't tie up the strong man. But you know what? He has. And you may be under a full frontal assault now. Today, right here as you sit in this room. And, uh, but the good news is Jesus has tied up the strong man. And the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the works of the devil. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward. And here's what I want us to do. We're going to pray at the end. Because do you understand that the evil one is no match for Jesus? And one of the great teachings of the New Testament is the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. The great weapon in the book of Revelation that drives back the darkness is prayer. It ascends into heaven like, like, like incense, and then thunder is unleashed against the devil and all of his hosts here on earth. So you say, when you, when you say, what prayer? I feel like my prayers aren't going anywhere. People are praying for me. I don't feel anything. No, no. Rest assured of this. Prayer is supremely powerful. It unleashes the power of Jesus to drive back the evil in your life. And we will have some prayer in a few minutes at the, at, at the end of the service. But right now, what I want us to do is I want it to lead us in a, in a little, little uh, exercise of filling up our house with, with the Holy Spirit, filling up our house with Jesus. So I'm going to invite you all to stand with me. And this, this exercise comes from a group called the Essenes. In the first century, they were a group of Jewish, zealous Christians that lived in the Dead Sea area. And they did something which they called in that day mikvahs, not like mikvahs today, that Orthodox Jews do. Uh, what they would do is when they would go to pray in the temple, and they would go a few times a day, before they went into the temple, they would immerse themselves into four feet of water and take a bath to cleanse themselves from the filth of the world. And then they go in to worship God. It's a great image. So we're going to do a, a mikvah of type. I'm not going to ask you to jump in the water. We don't have any water here, you know. But I want us to do one symbolically with your hands. And I'm going to lead you. And we're going to do, we want to get cleansed of the pollution and contamination and filth of the world, in a sense. The garbage. And get cleansed that Jesus might fill our homes. And I'm, I'm going to we're going to start with Head, heart, hands, and feet. All right? So you're going to, this is, you have to do something with your, with your hands in this one. So I want you to just, you know, so we're going to be turning away from the, the evil little world and turning to Jesus. So put your, you know, put your hand right now on your head. I invite you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you, in a symbolic of giving yourself to God, I'm going to ask you just to repeat uh, the words that I say, and we say it together as a prayer to God. So with your, with your hand on your head, say, Lord, I give you my thoughts. Cleanse my mind. Renew it. And fill my mind with your thoughts. Now put your hand on your heart. So, Lord, I surrender to you my heart. My attitude, my attitude, my motives, my, motives. my, hurts, my hurts, my hates. Fill my heart with your Holy Spirit. Then put one hand uh, on another, like this, you know, or like this. 
and say, Lord, I offer you the work of my hands. Whatever I do and touch this week, may I be filled in my hands with you. Then point towards your feet and say, Lord, I offer you my feet. Wherever these feet take me this week, may they be filled with you. Guide me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's a song that we sang before we started the service. You give the words up, Michael. And actually, it comes from a prayer of St. Patrick. And it really is a, is a song of worship, of, of filling up the house. And it goes, God in my living, there in my breathing. Look at those words, huh? God in my waking, God in my sleeping. God in my resting, there in my working. God in my thinking. God in my speaking. So Jesus, fill my house. That next verse up, Michael. Next. God in my hoping. You have hopes and dreams for your life? I hope so. God in my hoping. God, in my dreaming, I hope you have dreams. God, I want you to be in those dreams. God, in my watching, as I'm watching for things to happen, in my waiting, be in that, Lord. In my laughing, even, Lord, for fun, in my weeping, in my hurting, in my healing. And then it goes, of course, it goes everything. You know, be my everything. Be my everything. So if you don't know the song, because he just taught it before the service started, just follow Peter and the team here and, and then join in as you're able. table to your right we invite you to come and fill up your your body with the with the, with the presence of jesus through the blood and you know the, the, the cup and the bread you, you do that and our prayer teams want you to come over to to your left and uh some of you you are under a direct frontal assault okay you need prayer released over your life okay, this is not this is this is beyond you and i want you not to run out of here you come out you come just come and let us pray for you and lay hands on you God touch you. Let God deliver you. Let him set you free. You know, the New Testament talks about how believers can even get set free by Jesus and then fall back. Paul says, how is it you've fallen back to those principalities and powers all over again? I set you free. And Paul's amazed. Some of you may have, you find yourself, you're in some kind of a, a locked-in bondage. You're stuck. You're, you're trapped. You, you can't get out. It might be in a relationship. It might be a marriage. It might be an addiction. I don't know what it is. But you know. It might be a rage. But you recognize you ain't getting rid of this. You got yourself in a bad spot here. And you, see, you want to come and just get prayer and a laying out of hands for God to push back the evil. God to give you grace to grow up and come out of this thing. Okay, so we're going to close. Our prayer teams will be here and lay hands and anoint you with oil. And again, if heaven, it says in scripture, as prayer gets up to heaven, thunder's released. And we look like prayer does nothing. God says, no, you want to say prayer does everything. Because Christ has already won that victory on the cross, everybody. It's done. It's a matter now of us making room for him and get it applied to our lives. So I, I hope you hear my heart. I don't ever want new life to become a show or a crazy place. But I want us to be a place which drives back the powers of hell. And people come here and we get set free here to fulfill the destiny God has for us. And we are not afraid of talking about these issues as well. Because Jesus died to set you free for the life that he called you to live. So there's no reason to be afraid. So I invite you as we close here, open up your hands up towards heaven and we'll be dismissed. And just close your eyes, just receive a blessing from God as we close our service.
So I pray as we stand under an open heaven right now that you might receive a revelation of God's incomparable power that is now yours in Jesus and the enormity of what God has done on your behalf. And may you be flooded with his love and his power. And may where you have felt despair, may God replace that with enormous hope that the future is a certainty in Jesus. And may you leave here changed because he's alive. And may you not just be free yourself, may you be a vehicle to set people free everywhere you go out of this place. So receive his love and receive his peace as you go from here, I pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day.